You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 72. Hello, my gruesome addicts. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Mm-hmm. Anything? <laughs> so we're going to... Uh, just want to say thanks for listening to all these episodes. This is 72, and it's I gone know. for a long time. And Crazy. Hell I, yeah. It doesn't sound like you guys hate it as much as I do. <laughs> You're the only one here that hates it. But I'm going to do the same kind of thing we did for a Halloween episode, uh, where I do like a few different stories. So this one's going to be three different stories, three different cases. It's about Halloween? No, 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 no. No, no I know. Okay, just, God damn I'm you. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> like it's okay. uh, February, late February. Okay. Um, so so yeah. three different stories. Yes, yes. yes okay. Yes. Okay. So let's get going. Story. Let's get started. Our episode story number one. <laughs> This, is, this story is about Dorothy Jane Scott. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dorothy Jane Scott was born April 23rd, 1948, to her mother Vera and father Jacob. Dorothy later became a single mother living in Stanton, California, with her aunt and her four-year-old son, Sean. She was a secretary for two jointly owned Anaheim stores. One was a place that like sold like psych- psychedelic like items, such as like love beads, love lamps, that kind of shit, you know? Sick. Yeah. And the other one was a head shop. She was hmm. a type that preferred- Kind of hippie. You would think so, but what I was about to say, like, she's uh, one that, like, she preferred to stay at home, and she was, like, a devout Christian. Hmm. I mean, not that that should really yeah, make she's a difference. But, selling pipes and... but she, And she didn't drink, and she didn't do drugs. Huh. So, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Her parents, who lived in Anaheim, which was close by, like, only about, like, eight miles or 12 kilometers from where she lived with her aunt, um, and they would babysit her, her son, Sean, a lot, their grandson, while she was at work. Dorothy's father, Jacob, said his daughter... You know, dated on occasion, but she had no steady boyfriend, like as far as her family knew. Dorothy started to receive strange phone calls at work from an unidentified male one day. The caller alternatively professed his love for her and his intent to kill her. So that's aggressive. Yeah. Dorothy's mother recounted, quote, one day he called and said to go outside because he had something for her. She went out and there was a single dead red rose on the windshield of her car, unquote. Hmm. Dorothy's mother said one time, one call especially horrified her daughter. The man reportedly told Dorothy he could get her alone and cut her up into bits so no one will ever find her. That's love. Right, exactly. (laughs) Because of the calls, Dorothy began considering the purchase of a handgun, and she started to take karate lessons. At 9 p.m. on May 28, 1980, Dorothy was at an employee meeting at work. She saw that one of her co-workers, Conrad, he didn't look well, and he had like a red mark on his arm. So she's like, that's odd. So uh, Dorothy and her other co-worker, Pam, head, they left the employee meeting to take Conrad to the emergency room at UC Irvine Medical Center. On the way to the hospital, though, they stopped by Dorothy's parents' house, just tech on her son real quick. Um, but while she was also there, she changed from her black scarf to a red one. At the hospital, medical personnel determined that Conrad had actually suffered from a black widow spider bite, and he was treated, and he was fine. 
Pam said she and Dorothy remained in the ER room, like wait in the waiting room. And at no time did Pam ever say that Dorothy left her side. Like they were always together. Conrad was discharged around 11 p.m. that night and given a prescription. Dorothy offered to bring her car to the exit. Um, you know, she didn't want Conrad to walk too far, you know, in his condition from being, you know, <laughs> bitten by a fucking spider. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he still wasn't feeling so well. So Pam said that Dorothy used the restroom briefly and then she headed out to go to the parking lot to get her car. They filled up his prescription and they waited at the exit for Dorothy. But... Like, they waited a few minutes, and Dorothy was, like, nowhere to be found. Like, she just went to go get her car, right? So, like, what the hell? (laughs) Where could she be? Suddenly, they saw Dorothy's car, like, speeding towards them. So, and it's, like, headlights are blinding them, so they couldn't see really behind who's the wheel. And they were, like, hey, like, Dorothy, you know, waving their arms and stuff like that. And, like, to get her attention, but the car just sped past them, and it took a sharp right turn outside of the parking lot. Hmm. Initially, both... They thought both of them thought Dorothy had an emergency with her son, maybe, and that's why she just fled really quickly. A few hours later, after not hearing from her, though, Pam and Conrad decided to report her, you know, her missing. At about 4:30 a.m. on May 29th, her car was actually found. It was a white 1973 Toyota station wagon. It was burning in the alley close by, like about 10 miles or 16 kilometers from where the hospital was. So, and neither her or whoever maybe supposedly kidnapped her were, like, nowhere to be found. So now she's missing and her car is burning. So on August 6, 1984, a little over four years after Dorothy had went missing, a construction worker discovered dog and human bones, like, side by side, about 30 feet or 10, like, um, kilometers away from Santa Ana Canyon Road. Mm Mm-hmm. The bones were partially charred, and authorities believe that they had been there for about two years as a brush fire had swept across that site in, like, 1982, prior to that. A turquoise ring and watch were also found. Dorothy's mother said that the watch had stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, about an hour after Pam and Conrad last saw her vehicle. So that's a little eerie. Yeah. On August 14th, the bones were identified as Dorothy's by dental records. So she was found deceased. An autopsy could not confirm her cause of death. And a memorial service was held on August 22nd. But about a week after Dorothy's disappearance, her parents received a call from an unidentified man who said, quote, I've got her. And then he hung up. So it's like, is this the same fuck that was calling her? Yeah. Like before she disappeared, right? Probably. Yeah. Right. So the same man called Almost like her mom said, almost every Wednesday afternoon, this guy would call and said either that he had Dorothy or that he had killed her. So he's going back and forth with all this, just fucking with her, you know, her parents. The calls were usually brief and they usually occurred when her mom was home alone. In April 1984, the man called during the evening and this is when her dad actually picked up and then the calls kind of stopped after that. So it's weird. Yeah. After Dorothy's remains were found in August of 1984, the family started receiving. And then after I said that, you know, they stopped. They started receiving them again. Police installed a voice recorder at, you know, at that house, at the residence. But they were not able to trace the calls. However, because the man had, like, he just wouldn't stay on the phone long enough for them to trace it. A possible motivation in Dorothy's murder surfaced June 12th, 1980. So four years, like, you know, same year that she disappeared. An unidentified man called the front desk at the Orange County Register. Uh, it was actually a, a paper, 
you know, a newspaper or whatever. A managing editor told police the man said, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her, unquote. It's like, Jesus. The editor also said that the caller knew Conrad had suffered that spider bite that same night mm-hmm. that she disappeared. He also knew that Dorothy had been wearing a red scarf. Remember, because she had a black one on and then she went home and she changed it to the red one. So it's like, and he knew that. And so neither of these details had ever been published in that article either. Uh So this is only something that this now killer would know, right? The caller also claimed Dorothy phoned him from the hospital that night. But remember, Pam was like, she was by my side. Like I never, she even stated like, I never saw her make a phone call. Like Mm -hmm. that phone call never happened, which is kind of weird. And so investigators believe the, this caller was, was ultimately responsible for her death. And unfortunately, that's where the case ends. No arrests have been made in her case, and it's still unsolved. What the fuck? I know. I know. It's fucking like, I, and then, you know, there's, there's theories of like that she did obviously have a stalker in it, or it could have been this man or whatever. But like, yeah, it's just kind of sad. That's literally the end of her story, and no one's been arrested, and... Fucking horrible. Can't they like look into her past relationships and shit? I guess so, but like, her, remember her family was saying like she'd never really like had boyfriends or like a steady boyfriend, and like she just wasn't really in relationship with anybody, and she was you know a Christian. She loved to stay at home. They just never, yeah. That was just the end of it. But. A Christian that loved to stay at home but work at psychedelic places and a head shop. I know it's all kind of weird. Interesting, yeah. Maybe there's another life that no one knows about. Me? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. I never asked you, do you like unsolved or solved cases better? Do you have a preference? Uh, I think the moral person would say solved. I mean, a lot of people do, but yeah. some people like it. Oh, no, I love killers still <laughs> roaming around. <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. It just makes it more interesting and more stories for us. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I should have asked you that. All right, we're moving on to... Uh, I like no stories that you're telling me <laughs> That's ever. That's true. Okay. <laughs> this is a better response. Do you have any ones where everyone stays alive um, and happily ever after? Maybe, actually. Or a plot of revenge. I guess the Alaska Avenger was my favorite one because yeah. it was like revenge. He, he wanted his... Yeah, know? exactly. For sure. For sure. So... And, uh... Oh, Jason. Anyway, so we're going to move on to the second one. <laughs> This is about Armin Mavis. I'm just going to say, this is a case from Germany. And obviously we know I'm not very good with pronouncing names, places, and shit like that. So yeah. forgive me ahead of time. Okay. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> Germany. I'll forgive you. I don't care if you fucked it up. Okay. so That's Ar- not, I don't hate Germany. I just, you know, it caused like a couple world wars and I don't forget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to our German audience. Oh. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Armin Mivis was born on December 1st, 1961 in Kassel, Germany. He was the only child to Waltrude Mivis. He had two older half-brothers from his father's previous relationships with another woman. His father ended up abandoning Armin and his brothers and sisters when he was eight, leaving him to be raised by his mother, who was very strict and overbearing. He had also described himself feeling, you know, at this age, feeling very lonesome after the family had fallen apart. 
But around the age of 12, he began to develop a certain desire probably most of us don't have. That was cannibalism. He's 12. (laughs) A 12-year-old, like... Yeah. Wow. Yes. He fantasized about killing and eating his friends so that they would, like, never leave him. That's so horrible. Why they would leave him, though. But they would be... Oh, I guess he... He would digest them and poop them out. I guess guess that's true. (laughs) Well, not in his brain, I guess. Anyone teach his kid about anatomy or... (laughs) I guess not. Biology of the human organs? (laughs) Oh, true. It's not gum. It doesn't stay with you for 12 years in your fucking stomach. (laughs) It's not gum. (laughs) Kind of like a Dahmer, but he didn't keep the pieces. He just wanted to eat all of them. Anyway, so he took it so far later on in his life that he he wanted to look for like a willing volunteer to eat. So, I bet there's a lot of those out there. <laughs> you'd be surprised. What you would be surprised. Armin posted an online advertisement stating that he was, quote, looking for a well-built 18 to 25-year-old to be slaughtered and then consumed, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> a, man, a man by the name of Borg Jose, hopefully I'm saying that right, Messaged him and they talked back and forth until Borg decided he wanted to pay Armin to visit his home with the intention of being slaughtered and eaten. So you say Germany, huh? Yeah, Germany. <laughs> Skipping that one yep, on the Euro yep, rail. Yep, yep. <laughs> Borg shows up to Armin's house and right before it was all supposed to go down, Borg backed out. He's like, bro, you can't eat me. <laughs> Disappointed Armin, you know, he's like, Damn it, this sucks. But he goes and he unties this guy from all the restraints that he'd been put into and lets him out the front door. Oh, so he's not like really a serial killer. He's like Mm-mm. kind of like uh, just a just a weird cannibal. He just wants to experience. Like, yeah, he wants to experience but he wants it, your consent. But he didn't. Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. He wants consent. <laughs> this is fucking retarded. I know. I know. But he, he said that he didn't want to kill people. Bull. He didn't want to like murder them, I guess, but he wanted to experience, you know, eating the flesh. So Borg leaves. Another man answers his ad in wow. March of 2001. Wow. I know. This guy's name was Bern Jurgen Armando Brands. I'm just going to call him Brands. He was a 43 year old engineer from Berlin. Mm, not the criteria. You said what, 18 to 25? Oh, I did, yes. Oh. That is true, yeah. So he's a little a older. A little aged meat. A little older. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so Brands was bisexual, but he was actually in a long-term relationship with his girlfriend. Do I know if his girlfriend knew about this? I don't know. Can't answer that. I'm sorry. Armin and Brandis made a videotape when they met on March 9th, 2001 in Armin's home. before. Um, but before doing this tape... Brand swallowed 20 sleeping pills. He swallowed a whole bottle of cough syrup. And obviously this is likely to cause an effect of slow breathing and he became extremely tired. <laughs> so this video. Are you ready to hear this? Yeah. It's a little gruesome. The video shows Armin amputating Brandis's penis with his agreement, his consent. Mm-hmm. And the two men attempt to eat it together. <laughs> Brandis initially insisted that Armin should attempt to just bite his penis off, but that didn't work. (laughs) How about some Venus nature? (laughs) 
What the fuck is wrong with these people? My like, <laughs> I know. So, but that didn't work. He couldn't just bite it off. So, um, Armin used a knife to cut it off. Brandis apparently tried to eat some of his own penis raw, but it didn't work because he said it was too tough. And he also said it was too chewy. I don't know how that works, but... Armin then decided to fry the penis in a pan with salt, pepper, wine, and garlic. Then he fried it with some of Brandis' fat, but by then it was too burnt to be consumed. <laughs> so they didn't eat it. So they wasted that meat? Yeah. Oh, man. Burn um, the brats. Yeah, but this is the horrible part. Is, oh. Well, no, actually, they didn't waste it. They didn't waste it because they took the penis and chopped it up into chunks, and then they fed it to his dog. So his dog ended up eating it. <laughs> According to court officials who saw the video, this video, by the way, has never been made public. Brannis may already have been too weakened from like blood loss to eat of his own penis. So, <laughs> so then by that time, Armin then ran Brannis' a bath before going to read a Star Trek book while checking on Brannis every 15 minutes, during which time he was like, obviously bleeding pretty much to death in this bath, drifting in and out of consciousness. And after long hesitation and prayer, Armin killed Brandis by stabbing him in the throat, after which he hung the body on a meat hook. So I guess he's kind of a murderer, but I guess he's going to die anyway, right? So I guess he could have called some medical attention to him. <laughs> the incident was recorded on a four-hour videotape, Obviously, like I said, which never been released because of how gruesome it was. Four, four screenshots allegedly from the videotape can be found online, but I don't know how like credible it is. I did not look this up. I did. I swear to God. I know it sounds horrible. I did not look it up. I cannot get myself to do that. I don't even know if it's on there anymore. I didn't look it up, though. <laughs> Armin dismembered and ate the corpse over the next 10 months during... <laughs> you look so stressed out. It's because it's, like, so dumb. Like I know. Should he even be in court for this? Like, the guy willingly did it. I mean, if, if you're a person that, like, hey, let's eat my dick together. <laughs> I mean. I know. Well, he, they, they didn't sit there and write a whole, you know, Should he be walking form. around on this earth alive? <laughs> so oh he also God. stored bar body parts in the freezer under some pizza boxes. And it was about 20 kilograms or 44, 44 pounds of flesh in there. He ultimately was arrested in December of 2002 when a college student alerted authorities to new advertisements for victims online. So he was not done. He went back on to that. and But willing victims. Yeah, of course. Of course. They call them victims. They don't seem as don't victims know. at all. They are, yeah. Because they were willing. What do you think is going to happen to you when you cut your dick off? Yeah. Well, he also said that he wanted to slaughter and eat them. So obviously they know they're going to die. He should have made a, like a whole like form that you have to fill out and sign and make sure that this shit is the legitimate. Good old dick eating consent paper. <laughs> oh, God. So they searched his home and, you know, they did find body parts and the videotape, of course, of the killing. Armin was diagnosed with schizoid personality, but, you know, deemed fit to stand trial. On January 30th, 2004, Armin was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. Obviously, his case got a lot of attention. And they couldn't feed him any phallic-shaped food. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
my God. When speaking to a German newspaper, Armin admitted cannibalizing Brandis and expressed regret for his actions. He added he wanted to write a biography with the aim of deterring anyone wanting to follow in his footsteps. Websites dedicated to Armin started appearing after his 2002 arrest with people advertising for willing victims. Armin, um, following this, said, quote, they should go in for treatment so it doesn't escalate like it did with me, unquote. While in prison, Armin has since become a vegetarian. Hmm. <laughs> And he actually came out saying that he believes there's 800 cannibals in Germany. Just his thought. In April 2005, a German court ordered a retrial after prosecutors appealed Armin's sentence, arguing that he should have been convicted of murder because he killed for sexual gratification, a motive proved by, obviously, this videotape. The court ruled that the original trial had ignored the significance of the video in disproving the argument that Armin only killed because he had been asked to kill. What? I know. <laughs> yeah. In 2023, Armin's former house burnt down to what was be like a suspected arson attack. Uh, two juvenile suspects were under investigation, but no arrests have made. Just a little side note: his yeah. house burnt down. <laughs> no, that was only last year, so that's pretty crazy. But that's the end of uh, Armin. What the fuck? <laughs> the penis-eating German. <laughs> You guys want to come over for Oktoberfest, eat some brats? I, <laughs> I just, I saw that. And I was like, that is the most wild. Literally the action of someone saying, go eat a dick. Literally. Right? <laughs> he was down for that. Okay. So. Shit. We're going on to the last one. All right. This is, this is a little cry cry. Okay. So. Oh, really? <laughs> This story is about 58-year-old Gail Chorus and 64-year-old Charles Foster. And how they ate vaginas. <laughs> no, no, we no. Vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. So this couple had been married for a little over a year, and they had just moved to Ferndale, Washington, about two weeks before this whole incident that you're about to hear about. But I'm not going to go into more detail. Because I want you to hear something really quick. Because okay. I'm going to play a 911 call throughout uh -huh. this one. So here's just the beginning of this 911 call. And then I'm going to pause it and then we'll kind of like finish the call and stuff. By the way, this is March 6, 2015 at 2.11 p.m. And here we go. Friday, March 6, 2015 at 14 hours, 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Okay, so 
Come on, dude. That's an awesome fucking 911 call. You're like, shut up. Like, Give me a second. He's like so frustrated. God damn phone. He's like, cake. Trying to get like, you on speakerphone. I'm going to have to call you back. Like, uh, isn't this an emergency? I service? know. You're like, like, this is serious. I was like, well, what is so serious, man? God damn it. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like but, one of our like old parents trying to use a phone or that's something, ex- you know? Oh my god, that's exactly what I off. thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you called us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would you prepare Would yourself? You shut up! <laughs> like, no, I love it. like, oh my god! Like she's trying to help you. I don't know what this guy did or what's going on. And right. I don't want to take sides or anything, but he rocks. Okay. Well, let's Maybe get a not. little Maybe background not. of what's yeah. gonna go on okay. here. Okay. Leave me so. Into it. At first, the marriage had been good, Gail told police, but Charles, he would get mean when he drank. It sounds like it. So Charles is actually drunk at this point. It totally sounds like it. When he <laughs> said, uh, I'm trying to put my phone in speaker phone. Yeah, and, he's like, and then he goes, <laughs> he's, like, yeah, yeah. he's like grumpy, or like grumpy. He's like groaning at the fucking thing. So yeah, he's like pretty drunk at this point, and he's appeared to be mad at Gail because she brought alcohol into the home. And alcohol was ruining their marriage. So he also said that he, around this point, or not, he didn't tell the nine one one operator or anything. But at this point, he'd actually like consumed about two drinks of like rum. But you know, she was the one ruining the marriage. Yeah. Right? Like she's like she's the drunk one. Like she's ruining everything. It's like, bro, you're drunk as hell right now. Anyways, Charles then called police after not only allegedly punching Gail in the face, his wife, but also stabbing her in the chest because, quote, she's a fucking drunk and a loser, end quote. Now do you like him? Now no, do you like no, Charles? No. <laughs> so we're going to go on with the call. All right. When he, this is when he, you know, he hung up and he called back just a minute later at 2.12 p.m. So at any point, let me know if you want to stop and talk about the call and then we'll continue. And, yeah. Okay. 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 
want to hurt this woman real bad. What's her name? Pardon me, ma'am? Yes. Uh, whatever. Can <laughs> you at least talk to me? I'm trying to help you, but I, I'm having a hard time hearing everything that you're saying. Your phone has kind of a, oh, your phone has kind of an echo. Have you been drinking? Your phone has an echo. <laughs> have you been oh, drinking? Yeah. Have you been well, drinking or using any? Okay. Have you been yeah, drinking or using phone. any drugs? Okay. What would you like me to do? I answer the question. Have you been drinking or using any drugs? No. Okay. <laughs> Where is your wife right now? She's sitting right next to me. Okay. What's her name? Yeah. Of course. Have you done anything to physically hurt her yet? Yes, ma'am, I have. What have you done? I punched her in the face because I really want to kill her right now. Because she's a thing drunk. Okay. No, we have not been drinking. <laughs> we have not done anything. She just... Uh, I'm crazy. Whatever you want to call it, I'm crazy. I don't care. I want her dead. You understand that, ma'am? I do. I'm getting you I help. I understand, and I'm getting you help. Do you have any weapons in your home? Pardon me, ma'am? Do you have any weapons in your home? Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm having trouble understanding you. Okay. Do I have a weapon in my home? Like a gun? Uh, you know what? It's just in the f***ing cop out okay, here. Okay, I'm ready to let it go sir? with that. Bye-bye. Hey, sir. Wow. Okay, so yeah. So he hangs up for a second time. Uh, just, I love how he's just like, it's so annoying how they're like they can't like hear each other because of a stupid phone and like but like he's like no we're not drinking. <laughs> just like Bro, you're drunk right now. <laughs> but, okay, we're going to finish it. This, and then uh, this is the last part of the call. Third call comes in five minutes later at 2.17 p.m. Call started on Friday, March 6, 2015 at 14 hours, 17 minutes, and zero seconds. Hi. It's 911. Hi, it's 911. You disconnected, and I just wanted to talk... I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding you. Okay. Just hang on. Okay. Uh, are you with the police department? I work at the 911 center. Oh, good. I'll okay. send a cop out here before I kill my wife. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, is there any way that you can go outside to wait for police? I don't have time for games. Just send <laughs> nope. a officer Listen. or two out here because I'm really pissed off at my wife. Okay. And I want to hurt her. Sir? No. I, you understand my request. I understand, and you listen to me now, okay? I'm sending police talking to me. The police are on their way. Oh, good. Okay, and when you talk, sir, uh, I have, 
I have questions to ask you. Does anyone there need an ambulance? What do you want to know? Does anyone there need an ambulance? Pardon me? Do you need an ambulance? No, I don't know what you're saying, ma'am. Medics? Do you need medics? It's very simple. It's very simple. Okay. Listen to me very carefully. Will you, sir, will you go outside and talk to the police there? I'm listening to you. I want to hurt my wife. I don't want to hurt anybody else. Okay, will you go outside to talk to the police, please? All I want is an officer or two, whatever it takes, to come down here to my apartment, my address, and arrest me. Me. I know. My wife. But shut up and listen. I just want to be away from this woman. Yeah. So, I heard what you said. You understand that now? <laughs> yes. I want for you to go outside to talk to the police so then you can accomplish your goals. Bye. Bye. So that was the end of the call. <laughs> <laughs> My God. It's not funny because, like, knowing like what he did and everything like that, but like this fucking guy is just like so annoying. Like, For sure, they can't understand each other, and he's like, "I just try to get his like point across." And they're like, "We know, go outside, talk to the police." <laughs> it's just like a fucking shit show. Oh my god! So, police responded to the second story apartment, and they could hear Charles like yelling inside. Suddenly, he burst out of the door smoking a cigarette. He leaned on the railing of the second-story balcony, and officers noticed that there was blood on his nose and his wrists. And then he tells, he like yells at police officers, quote, tired of my wife's crap, unquote. <laughs> and that's why he hit her. He reeked of alcohol, <laughs> and he said he just wanted to finish his cigarette before he went to jail. So police go inside and they find Gail on the couch. She was leaning back, staring up the ceiling, taking short breaths because, like I said, she had been stabbed in the chest. She was holding the right side of her chest where she had been stabbed. A knife and traces of blood were in the kitchen sink. Gail survived the three-inch stab wound that nearly pierced her lung. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, obviously, if he didn't call police and go, like, with all that bullshit, she could have died. So he wanted to kill her and hurt her and stabbed her but like ended up saving her life in a weird way because he called 911 that afternoon a breath test at the county jail uh was you know they did a breathalyzer test for charles and his blood alcohol content was at 0.232 damn and like california and i'm sure other states the legal limit to drive is 0.08 <laughs> so yeah he had been drinking that day for sure <laughs> Like, even, like, she's like, are you drinking or doing any drugs? It's like, no, we have not been drinking, doing anything. <laughs> Charles had actually had another domestic violence conviction in Washington State for assaulting a roommate in April 2013 in Pierce County. The woman said Charles pulled a gun on her and he illegally tried to evict her. And But he, and he ended up pleading guilty to reduced misdemeanor charges. And for that crime, he only served a week in jail. Charles pleaded guilty to attempted murder in the second-degree case of Gale on July 16, 2015, in Whatcom County Superior Court and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. 
Washington State Department of Corrections records show that as of Monday, June 13th, 2022, the 71-year-old Charles Foster is incarcerated at Airway Heights Corrections Center. Court documents state that once he is released from prison, Charles will face three years of probation, during which he is prohibited from consuming alcohol and contacting Gail. And that is the end of those three cases. Wow. <laughs> crazy, crazy, and crazy. Yep. But, yeah, thanks for listening to my stories. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, case suggestions, gruesomeandnatural at gmail.com. Rate, review, do all that fun stuff. We appreciate it great, greatly, especially Eric. He loves it. Can't wait until episode 73. I can see it in your eyes right now. I'm hungry for a hot dog. Okay. Until next Monday. <laughs> Stay safe and be aware. <laughs>